0: The reading is going to begin in Genesis chapter 12, um, beginning at verse 10 and reading through to the end of chapter 13. And that's on page 14 in the Church Bibles and page 17 in the large print. Abraham in Egypt. Now there was a famine in the land, and Abraham went down to Egypt to live there for a while because the famine was severe. As he was about to enter Egypt, he said to his wife Sarai, I know what a beautiful woman you are. When the Egyptians see you, they will say, This is his wife. They will kill me, but will let you live. Say you are my sister, so that I will be treated well for your sake, and my life will be spared because of you. When Abraham came to Egypt, the Egyptians saw that Sarai was a very beautiful woman, and when Pharaoh's officials saw her, they praised her to Pharaoh, and she was taken into his palace. He treated Abraham well for her sake, and Abram acquired sheep and cattle, male and female donkeys, male and female servants, and camels. But the Lord inflicted serious diseases on Pharaoh and his household because of Abraham's wife, Sarai. So Pharaoh summoned Abram. "'What have you done to me?' he said. "'Why didn't you tell me she was your wife? "'Why did you say she is my sister, "'so that I took her to be my wife?' now then here is your wife take her and go then pharaoh gave orders about abram to his man and they sent him on his way with his wife and everything he had so abram went up from egypt to the negev with his wife and everything he had and lot went with him abram had become very wealthy in livestock and in silver and gold From the Negev, he went from place to place until he came to Bethel, to the place between Bethel and Ai, where his tent had been earlier, and where he'd first built an altar. There Abram called on the name of the Lord. Now Lot, who was moving about with Abram, also had flocks and herds and tents, but the land could not support them while they stayed together, for their possessions were so great that they were not able to stay together." and quarrelling arose between Abram's herders and Lot's. The Canaanites and Perizzites were also living in the land at that time. So Abram said to Lot, "'Let's not have any quarrelling between you and me, "'or between your herders and mine, for we are close relatives. "'It's not the whole land before you. "'Let's part company. "'If you go to the left, I'll go to the right. "'If you go to the right, I'll go to the left.'" Lot looked around and saw that the whole plain of the Jordan towards Zor was well watered, like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt. This was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. So Lot chose for himself the whole plain of the Jordan and set out toward the east. The two men parted company. Abram lived in the land of Canaan, while Lot lived among the cities of the plain and pitched his tents near Sodom. Now the people of Sodom were wicked and were sinning greatly against the Lord. The Lord said to Abraham after Lot had parted from him, Look around from where you are, to the north and south, to the east and west. All the land that you see I will give to you and your offspring forever. I will make your offspring like the dust of the earth, so that if anyone could count the dust, then your offspring could be counted." Go, walk through the length and breadth of the land, for I am giving it to you. So Abraham went to live near the great trees of Mamre at Hebron, where he pitched his tents. There he built an altar to the Lord.
1: Thanks, David. Well, good morning to you all. Good to see you all. Um, just a confession as we start. I'm afraid there's no PowerPoint this morning, slight technical hitch, so we're going um going a bit old school. Um means you're gonna to have to work harder. Uh, hopefully you've got Bibles with you so we can refer to some of the passages. Um, if not, um, there are some uh, church Bibles, so if you want to put your hand up, I'm sure some of the stewards will be able to to get one for you. Well last week we looked at the amazing promises that God made to Abraham. The promise of land, of people. And blessing, we saw how Abraham trusted in God's promises, and so responded in obedience to His command to go. We finished in the, the New Testament in Galatians, uh, which explains Abraham's salvation was received by faith, and the great encouragement that as we respond to God in faith, then these promises are meant for us too. We become children of Abraham, children of the promise. This is what it says in Galatians. Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Understand then that those who have faith are children of Abraham. Scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and announce the gospel in advance to Abraham. All nations will be blessed through you. So those who rely on faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. So as God's children, there are many blessings that we enjoy. And Ephesians one tells us to praise, give praise to the God our Father, um, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. And yet we know from our own experience that life is not a bed of roses, is it? It's full of ups and downs. Even in this past week, I know some of you will have been on an up, and some on a down. And even within the same week, some will have been up and down, and some may have been on a more even uh, keel. So in the light of God's promises to us, though, how do we respond to to life's challenges that we face? Well, this morning we're going to be looking in particular at the promise of land, but as we look at the, these um, events recorded in this passage um, and how Abraham responded to life's challenges, I hope we can learn a lot from it. Because Abraham was someone who was blessed by God but was far from perfect. In the first challenge, he responds badly. But in the second, he seems to have learnt uh, a lesson and responds much more wisely. So let's have a look um, at that first, um, uh, the second half of chapter 12 that David read to us. Abraham goes to Egypt because of the famine, but fails to trust in God's promises. We said last week, if you were here, that Abraham has come from Haran um, with several hundred people. Um, This is a massive logistical exercise As they arrive in Canaan, the Canaanites are still in the land. And the God has promised to him in verse 7, to your offspring I will give this land. So Abraham travels throughout the land to, uh, to check it out, see what it's like. And in two places, in Shechem and Bethel, he pitches his tent and builds an altar to the Lord. And then we're told in verse 9 that he set out and continued towards the Negev which is in the south of Canaan, or more an area of, uh, of desert, if you like. And we're told there very briefly, in verse 10, now there was a famine in the land. So what does Abraham do? Well, Abraham, it says, went down to Egypt to live there for a while because the famine was severe. Now, was it a wise response to a challenge? A lot of people in his uh, his party who need feeding And we're not really told one way or the other, but what he didn't seem to do is call on the Lord, call on him for help, for guidance. Um, He just does what he thinks is a good idea. And what he does do that is definitely wrong is that when he gets there out of fear for himself, he tells his wife Sarai to say that she's his sister rather than his wife. She's an attractive woman, and he's afraid that the Egyptians will kill him and keep her. If he really believes the promises of God, that God will give him land and offspring and blessing, and he believes in the sanctity of marriage, then how can he think that God would allow that to happen? At this particular point, he's not showing faith in God or his promises. And so instead, he takes things into his own hands. He thinks he has a better idea. But he ends up dishonoring his wife and dishonoring God. However, God steps in and makes it clear to Pharaoh that what he's done is wrong and inflicts serious diseases on him and his household. And and so so Pharaoh summons Abraham and says to him, what have you done to me? Why didn't you tell me she was your wife? In verse 18. In other words, why, why did you lie to me? Why did you bring this disaster on me? Pharaoh seems to have much more integrity than Abraham had given him credit for, and fortunately for Abraham, Pharaoh gives him back his wife and tells him to leave Egypt. Even more amazingly, he lets them go with all the the livestock they've accumulated. But how often do we find ourselves in the same situation? Something happens to us, and we can't see a way out. And so instead of spending time seeking God's help and guidance, coming to him in prayer, we take things into our own hands. We think um, we are somehow better placed to control the situation than God. Most people here don't have many material needs. We don't have famine in this country. We, We know where the next meal is coming from, generally speaking. Doesn't mean we don't have financial worries. But how many of them are based on serious financial need, and how many based on losing a lifestyle to which we've become accustomed? Many of you, at some point in your your working lives, may have experienced redundancy, uh, which is a hard thing, uh, not just because of the immediate financial loss, but uh, because of the uncertainty about how long will it be before I find another job. But God can bring good. Out of every situation, and our responsibility is to look for the God for the good that God can bring, not simply to try and sort it in a way which will make us feel happy. Quite often, I hear people say, "Well, when I've got this sorted out, um, whatever this thing is, and the things are a bit more stable, um, whether it's our home, our, our job, our finances, uh, maybe our health, our relationships, our studies, whatever." then I will be able to think about all those things we saw in the in the word search, about giving and serving, spending time with God. But that's actually the wrong way around, isn't it? It's, it's in the challenges that we need to trust God. And it's through those challenges that we learn from him and come closer to him. Now, we're not told here explicitly what Abraham learned from this episode, but certainly in the next episode... He responds in a much more mature way. So let's come on to that, which is about a relationship issue. Abraham and Lot go their separate ways. But one of them departs from God's blessings. We're into chapter 13 now. So they've been kicked out of of Egypt. And so they head back to Canaan. And have a look at verse 1. Of chapter 13. So Abraham went up from Egypt to the Negev with his wife and everything he had and Lot went with him. Abraham had become very wealthy in livestock and in silver and gold. From the Negev he went from place to place until he came to Bethel, to the place between Bethel and I where his tent had been earlier and where he'd first built an altar. There Abraham called on the name of the Lord. Now Lot, who was moving about with Abraham, also had flocks and herds and tents. But the land could not support them while they stayed together. For their possessions were so great that they were not able to stay together. And quarreling arose between <coughs> Abraham's herdsmen and Lot's. The Canaanites and Perizzites were also living in the land at that time. So the issue here is a practical one. They'd accumulated a lot of, of livestock so they can't just pitch their tents where they want um, there needs to be enough pasture land to be able to feed uh, the livestock and it's complicated by the fact that the Canaanites, the Perizzites uh, still live in the land so they can't just go wherever they want and so as a result tempers are getting a little bit frayed between the, uh, those responsible for the livestock for the, between the herdsmen but look at Abraham's uh, mature response here now in verse 8 so Abraham said to Lot let's not have any quarrelling between you and me or between your herdsman and mine, for we are close relatives. It's not the whole land before you. Let's part company. If you go to the left, I'll go to the right. If you go to the right, I'll go to the left. He's taking a very responsible attitude, isn't he? He's saying we, we don't want to fall out about this. Abraham is quite rightly saying that the most important thing is we keep our relationship intact. And we keep the relationships between our, our herdsmen intact. God values relationships more than anything else. And we will all experience <coughs> our tensions in relationships at some at some point, whether in the home, in the workplace, um, in the church, because we're all wired differently. You know, we have different personalities, different backgrounds, and experiences. You have different gifts, different views about how things uh, should best be done. And we can use those things, uh, those differences for good, which is what God calls us to do in the church. Or we can allow them to cause division and pain. But Abraham here comes up with a sensible solution. For practical reasons, we're not going to be able to stay together. So let's split up and separate and go our different ways. And very graciously, Abraham gives Lot the first choice and sadly so often when you see people sorting out relationship issues the relationship is not actually the priority it's something else whether it's money or control or being proved right or or whatever and when those things become more important then it becomes much more difficult to keep the relationship intact Abraham is is the one called by God, he is the The father figure to Lot, really, he should have first dibs on this. But maybe he's thinking, well, I don't really deserve all these these flocks anyway. I only got them as a result of my sin. So who am I to demand uh, the best of the land? Whatever he's thinking, he's making it clear that the relationship is the most important thing. And he's prepared to humble himself, to take second best, for the sake of keeping it intact. And I wonder if we, we took that humble attitude, how much more easily would we sort out our relationship issues? So i been given the first choice then. How, do, how does Lot respond? Have a look at verse 10. Lot looked around and saw that the whole plain of the Jordan towards Zoar was well watered, like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt, this was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. So Lot chose for himself the whole plain of the Jordan and set out towards the east. Lucky me, he's thinking. But of course, he's forgotten the basic thing. Just like Abraham, when he went to Egypt, he hasn't sought the help of the Lord. He's made his decision on what seems to his eyes to be the most fertile land, as if that was the most important factor in the decision. But of course, as humans, we don't see everything. We need the Lord's help to see. And look how the passage continues. The two men parted company, verse 11. Abraham lived in the land of Canaan, while Lot lived among the cities of the plain and pitched his tents near Sodom. Now the people of Sodom were wicked, and was sinning greatly against the Lord. Now if Lot had asked the Lord's help and guidance, he would have told him, don't go there. You'll be living with wicked influences all around you. And next week we'll see the result of that. And in some ways, it's an obvious lesson for us, and one we'll come back to, to next week. The importance of remaining close to God's blessings, not putting ourselves in unnecessary spiritual danger. It doesn't mean as Christians we withdraw ourselves from the world. But if we withdraw ourselves from a blessing of God and his people, then we're putting ourselves in danger say so we had a men's breakfast and we were discussing and praying about the challenges in, in the workplace. We come together on a Sunday to be encouraged for the week ahead. But that doesn't mean that we don't need support within the week. That could be through the home group. That could be a group of Christians meeting in the workplace. Maybe a Christian union in the school. Could be meeting with one or two Christians before or after work to pray for one another. Sadly, Lot has withdrawn himself from God's blessings, but Abraham has decided to stay close to God, and so God repeats to him the promise of land as we move into verse 14. So Abraham receives the promise of land, and he's looking forward to the heavenly city. Last week in verse 7, God's promise to Abraham was quite uh, succinct. He says, uh, to your offspring, I will give this land. But now he expands on that promise. Have a look at verse 14 of chapter 13. The Lord said to Abraham, after Lot had parted from him, look around where you are, to the north and south, to the east and west. All the land that you see I will give to you and your offspring forever. I'll make your offspring like the dust of the earth, so that if anyone could count the dust, then your offspring could be counted. Go, walk through the length and breadth of the land, for I'm giving it to you. Well, what can we make of the the promise of land? What is its relevance for us today? Well, God's gift of land to his people It's an expression of his relationship with them. The gift was never meant to be an end in itself, but a means of developing the relationship with his people. And so although it's a gift of grace, it's given unconditionally as part of his promise to Abraham, as we looked at last week, it still demands a response from Israel. Entry into the land, enjoyment of the land, and life with God in the land requires obedience. Now let's, let's just take a quick scan of the, uh, the history of the land in the Bible. How did it demonstrate the health or otherwise of the relationship between God and his people? Well, you remember when God rescued his people from slavery in Egypt, uh, he brought them to the edge of the promised land, and he got them to send scouts into the land. They come back with their reports of a land flowing with milk and honey, um, but also of giants. They cannot possibly conquer if they are going to get into the land. And the people become afraid. They start not to trust in God and his promise. And so he punishes them by saying, this generation will never enter the land. You will wander in the wilderness for 40 years. But after that time, Under Joshua's leadership, they go in and they do take possession of the land. But before they go in, Moses gives them this command in Deuteronomy. He says, these are the decrees and laws you must be careful to follow in the land that the Lord, the God of your ancestors, has given you to possess as long as you live in the land. God has given Israel a land, and now Israel must give their wholehearted obedience to God. But of course, once in the land, they, they fail to trust, they fail to obey God. And so he sends prophets to warn them of the consequences if they carry on that way. God is patient with them. But eventually, he withdraws his blessing of the land. And he sends them out of the land into exile. And the ex- exile is a massive thing. It's not just that they become refugees like many people today have been displaced from their homeland. Now this demonstrates that their special relationship with God has been broken. But it's only when the land is lost, when they're in exile, that the Lord tells them of the new covenant that he will make with his people. If you've got your Bibles handy, let's go to Jeremiah chapter 32 on page 796 for the Church Bibles. Jeremiah 32, verse 36. You are saying this you are saying about this city, by the sword, famine, and plague it will be given into the hands of the king of Babylon. But this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says I will surely gather them from all the lands where I banish them in my furious anger and great wrath. I will bring them back to this place and let them live in safety. They will be my people and I will be their God. I will give them singleness of heart and action so that they will always fear me and that all will then go well for them and for their children after them. I will make an everlasting covenant with them I will never stop doing good to them and I will inspire them to fear me so they will never turn away from me. I will rejoice in doing them good and will assuredly plant them in this land with all my heart and soul. What an amazing promise of restoration, return to the land and restoration of the relationship. This is a new covenant that is being established which will be an everlasting covenant. But if it's going to be everlasting, then it needs to depend on God and not on people. And so the new covenant is established by Jesus. It's sealed by his blood, by his death on the cross. Do you remember the words that he, he said at the Last Supper with his disciples? This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. In the future, the basis on which God accepts his people as righteous, will be based not on their obedience, but on the obedience of Jesus Christ, and his sacrifice on their behalf, and their trust in that for their salvation. And nothing can change then that relationship. That's why it's described as an everlasting covenant. So where does land now fit into that relationship of Jesus with his people? Well, because the gospel has gone out of all nations, the promise of land is no longer confined to a small part of this earth. The promised land for all of God's people is the new creation, the new heavens and the new earth. This earth, as we're told in the Bible, is groaning, it is fallen. One day it will be destroyed and replaced with a new heaven and a new earth, which will come together. And the greatest blessing about that place is that God will be there. We will be in his presence. Let's finish by turning to one more passage in the New Testament. In Hebrews chapter 11, verse 8. By faith, Abraham, when he called to go to a place, he would later receive his inheritance, obeyed and went. Even though he did not know where he was going. By faith he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. Skipping on to verse 13. All these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance, admitting that they were foreigners and strangers on earth. People who say such things show that they are looking for a country of their own. If they had been thinking of the country they had left, they would have had opportunity to to return. Instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. If we are Christians here this morning, we too are strangers in a foreign country. This world is not our home. We're looking forward to going somewhere far better where the Lord Jesus has gone to prepare a place for us. And he's promised that he will come again. He'll come again and take us to be with him, where we will live with him forever. That is a great promise to hold on to, a great blessing to look forward to. So in the meantime, as we live in this world, three things to remember um, as we close. First of all, keep trusting in God's promises, even when times feel tough and we can't see the outcome. Secondly, stay close to God's blessings, even when other things may seem more attractive. Stay close to God's blessings. And finally, keep your eyes fixed on the heavenly city, where the greatest blessing will be God's presence. Amen so sort of a moment of, of quiet to reflect on those three reminders at the end and what we've heard this morning about um, the heavenly city, the promise that is for all of us if we put our trust in Jesus Christ as our Saviour. A moment of quiet to reflect on that. Father God, I'm sure all of us here this morning have learned a lot from our own mistakes as Abraham did from, from his... It is a simple lesson in many ways to trust in your promises for us and yet so often we are tempted to to do things our way, to take things um, into our own control. Lord, help us to seek your will, your guidance and to trust in your wisdom as the setbacks uh, come upon us. And Lord, where we do face decisions help us not to to make decisions based on what seems um, attractive on the surface. But again, help us to seek your guidance and stay close to you and your blessings. And Lord, as we think of the promise of land, we thank you for that great heavenly city that is there awaiting us. Thank you for those who are there already enjoying your blessings. Lord, we long to be with you one day. And so help us to live our life here with our eyes focused on where we're going. To enjoy your blessing with us and to use every opportunity we have to to glorify you. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.